Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to an emergency Oh God What Now with me, Andrew Harrison. They always do stuff on a Friday just to spite us. Last night, Friday 29th of January, the EU introduced and then withdrew orders preventing vaccines from crossing the border from the Republic of Ireland to Northern Ireland. We wondered if this would be the first big post-Brexit bust-up between the UK and the EU. Well, now it is, and I've got Naomi Smith and Alex Andreo with me to sort it out. Firstly, and most importantly, happy birthday, Alex. We've got you a disaster in diplomacy for you. Do you like us? <laughs> yes. We had it delivered right on time, especially for you. Um, yes. No, Naomi, first, bring us up to speed. What exactly happened? Give us the detail on this, exactly what, what has happened in this mess. Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a question of how far back do you want to go? But if we just take the last few days, um, there was a week of tensions between both European nations, especially Germany, uh, but essentially across the EU and from Brussels itself with the UK. And the U- European Commission um, then followed through on its threats to bring in export controls on vaccines that were bound for the UK uh, to try and limit uh, the, the number of vaccines uh, leaving the EU. All over this row about the AstraZeneca contract uh, and whether or not it was going to be able to fulfil its obligations to Europe in terms of delivering vaccines into them. You'll remember at the start of the week, uh, there was a German newspaper that sort of heavily criticised the efficacy of the AstraZeneca vaccine, particularly in older people. And we've had Macron from France saying uh, that that it's very unsafe for the UK to be delaying its second doses. So there was all sorts of, you know, negative spinning coming out from uh, both sides at each other. And this all culminated yesterday, Friday, uh, in the European Commission, triggering something called Article 16 of the Northern Ireland Protocol. And what that effectively does is impose a hard border on the island of Ireland. Now, listeners who have got a good memory will cast their minds back to last year when the UK not only threatened to, but but voted to break the Northern Ireland Protocol, an international treaty that we had signed, causing huge diplomatic uproar and criticism from around the world, frankly, as to how the UK was behaving. And it was doing that notionally, it said, out of fears that it wouldn't be able to uh, help uh, get goods in and out of Northern Ireland in the event of an emergency. And so it wanted to override the Northern Ireland Protocol to do that. And I think at the time they were sort of stoking up fears about food supplies into Northern Ireland. And of course, everybody reacted by saying, but but the Northern Ireland Protocol already contains uh, legislation that, that would, or an article that would <clears throat> enable you to do that in the event of some kind of uh, massive disaster. And that's called Article 16. Fast forward to yesterday, and the and the EC d- decide to trigger this. Now, this came as a huge shock to everybody, to Dublin, to Belfast, to Westminster. You know, effectively, th- th- what the EC, the EC managed to do yesterday was what seems like the impossible: to unite the DUP, Sinn Fein, Dublin, Westminster, etc., uh, in a in a sort of outcry. At, you know, at what the hell are you doing? And then, thanks to a huge pressure from Dublin, of course, there was this inevitable U-turn from the EC, and they have now rode back on it. That doesn't mean that huge damage hasn't been done, but that is effectively a, a, a relatively short way of explaining what has happened. 
Alex, has the EU basically screwed up here? They fucked up majorly. Um, I mean, they 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 fucked up in several ways. They fucked up by being overzealous in their reaction. I mean, one thing I will say is that anger in Brussels at AstraZeneca is very, very real and and has been real for weeks now. Because remember, in order to get to this, there's been behind the scenes, um, uh, you know, arguments and wrangling with the pharmaceutical company for weeks before this. So the the EU genuinely believes it's being screwed over by AstraZeneca over this uh, the supply of this vaccine. And and I think that needs to be understood as the basis of this. So this is not something that's been manufactured as a straw man to stoke up nationalism in sharp contrast to various things that our government has done. This is something about which the EU is genuinely angry and which is genuinely a life and death issue for them. But they overreacted. They did the wrong thing. They did the wrong thing in the wrong way. So they had not lined up their stakeholders. They had not even informed the relevant stakeholders that they were about to do this. So it was a a disaster, both in terms of strategy and in terms of PR. And they've they've come out of this with heavy amounts of egg on their face. I completely agree with Alex on this. You know, there is no two ways about it. This is a huge fuck up by the uh, EU. I would, though, say, you know, let let EU is without sin cast the first stone. And it is worth remembering that last year, you know, during 2020, the UK imposed export restrictions on hundreds of therapeutic medicines Mm. uh, for COVID-19, as well as scores of other related drugs. So, uh, you know, it it, it is not uh, the case that, that this is the EU solely and alone uh, being protectionist about, about drugs. The UK has been doing it for, for the best part of a year. I, I will completely agree with that. What, what essentially happened yesterday is that for the first time, the EU in a panic acted precisely as the UK has been acting for the last five years really quite frequently. But that's why it shows shocking, because we expect the EU to be the adults in the room. So when they do it, it really makes an impression. But, you know, you don't even need to go back to last year. Two weeks ago, the DUP's leader in Westminster, Sir Sir Geoffrey Donaldson, was asking Johnson whether he'd be willing to invoke Article 16 if uh, there were food shortages, to which Johnson responded he would have no hesitation. Now, Arlene Foster describes this now as a great act of aggression. So which is it? Is it okay when we do it mm-hmm. and a problem when they do it? So there is a, you know, there are heavy layers of hypocrisy, but that's not to take away from the fact that the EU fucked up. Absolutely, and and while they, it is a fuck up and they shouldn't have done it, even doing it, though, they were doing it within the law because it was a triggering of an article of a of protocol course. that had been signed, whereas to tear up that protocol, to ignore it, to try and override it you know, within domestic legislation is, is breaking the law. So arguably, they haven't acted as illegally as we have, but that doesn't matter right now. What matters is the optics of this, the politics of it, and remembering that no one is safe until everyone is safe.
Hmm. Uh, and all of this protection stuff around vaccines serves to help precisely no one. And this has been a huge, I mean, uh, this is not going to be the top of Ursula von der Leyen's list of priorities, but this has been a gift to Brexiters. We've been dealing on our social media feeds with quite a lot of crowing, people saying you won't acknowledge this because it doesn't fit your agenda. We did it on two podcasts this week and we're doing it on a third one now. But it's, it is inevitably going to be a gift to Brexiters, isn't it? I mean, m- many of our own listeners are saying it's a huge mistake. We've even had people saying the EU is now making the best case for Brexit they've heard in some time. And that's not just the headbangers with the Union Jack profiles. This isn't, this isn't only a gift in terms of Brexit. This is a gift, I think, primarily in terms of the COVID pandemic for Johnson. Because what it does is it creates, basically, Johnson has wanted to make vaccines a nationalist issue for many, many months. You know, they keep calling vaccines which are the result of international collaborations and which are manufactured in Belgium. They keep calling them British. You know, basically, any vaccine that's been developed in collaboration with any British institution is British. Any vaccine which has been manufactured, at least in part in Britain, is British. Any vaccine that we approved first and ordered first is also British. So there's this sense of entitlement to any dose anywhere because we're British, damn it. It is a grave mistake uh, on the part of the EU to fall into that trap. So, you know, the reason why it is so noteworthy and commentworthy is because the UK has adopted effectively a madman uh, negotiating strategy for years now. So when they act mad, it doesn't make an impression. But the EU yesterday acted like a madman. And when you see a sane entity acting mad, that does make an impression. Indeed. Indeed. And I think, you know, the point about the, 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 why, why this is a big gift um, is because the Conservatives, of course, are very, very concerned about keeping on board all of those switch voters in those so-called Red Bull seats on side throughout this. And that means that they need to leap on every opportunity to be jingoistic and hypercritical um, and to frame everything to do with the EU as zero sum. Either they win or yeah. we do. Yeah. You know, there is no concept of, of wanting to, to show that, you know, no one's safe until everyone's safe and that the pie just gets bigger rather than uh, it being fixed and and or trying to get a bigger slice and this is important because of Farage. Farage has set up Reform UK which is the latest iteration of the Brexit party you know latest iteration of frankly UKIP etc and what the latest polls are showing is that he still holds the keys to denying the Conservatives a majority at the next election mm. and Farage and Tice and others will be absolutely stoking up uh, and, and already have been all of this cackling. I told you so. The EU are awful stuff. So, so, so Johnson has to be there um, doing the same with with the Conservative Party. And, but, yeah, but, but sorry, you're right, Alex. This is this is absolutely a low trust environment that has been engineered by Britain, not by the EU. But of yeah. course, we we as Remainers want to hold the EU to a to a higher standard of account. Absolutely, that and that's precisely the point. But. You know, we have still ended up in a situation where because effectively the vaccine rollout is just about the only thing this government is getting right. And so that's all they want to talk about. And with the EU doing what it did, now they're allowed to talk about this in terms of an international competition. So we end up in a situation with a compliant media 
which will pump out this propaganda, where people in Britain will be really quite convinced that between Germany, which has a death rate of 685 people per million, and the UK, which has a death rate of 1,608 people per million, between Germany, which has a downturn of just over 9% in its economy, and the UK, which is almost 20%, somehow the UK is doing better. That's the impression that is left by this, that we are somehow winning at something that we have been woeful at. And let me add a bit more to that. You know, freight between the UK and the EU is still down 35% year on year, and 65% of trucks are returning to the continent empty. And that's twice what is normal. You know, companies are absolutely failing to, to get to grips with these Whitehall imposed export processes. And this is before any of the, the, the full force of the import controls have been imposed by the UK. So trade is hugely affected adversely for the UK rather than the EU. Uh, and, and you're right, Johnson will be doing everything he can to try and deflect away from the failings of Brexit. Uh, and this has just been an absolute gift for them. Uh, and, you, and you're right to say that the media are, in, are compliant in ignoring uh, the other ill effects of Brexit and, and pointing to this one. Yeah, you're right. It's it's blotting out everything from customers, to everything from the collapse of the tiniest Etsy shop right up to, you know, the, the collapse of the freight industry. Well, it's and, and the, the G7, yeah. Et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, you might be uh, justified in saying, if you're in Brussels, why do we care about what's happening in domestic politics in a foreign non-EU country like Britain? They're not in the EU anymore. Your problem with the fact that the people like us want to get closer to Europe again and want to slowly, however however slowly it takes, reverse this process is no longer any of our concern. So we take the action that we think is appropriate for the EU. And if it makes the people on the Oh God, What Now podcast full of rage, tough shit. Look, but maybe, maybe you could say that, but the point is that for that to work as, as an argument, you have to keep it as a domestic issue. By doing what the EU did, it made it an international issue, and it invited criticism uh, onto itself at a time when member states are already eyeing it suspiciously about its handling of their vaccine rollout. So, like I said in the last podcast, the EU is under immense pressure to roll out the vaccine, and they are under pressure from member states because if they don't do this and do it quickly, member states will begin to peel off and make private deals with the company. The real culprit in many ways in all this is the pharmaceutical company because it basically made promises that it can't keep, made promises that don't accord with its production capacity. So it's now in a situation where it has one customer to whom it's promised uh, doses that needs the second dose to the vaccine. So they're on a time-limited pressure window and another client that is looking for its first dose of the vaccine. What AstraZeneca should have done is it should have sold no more effectively than half of its ready production so that it had the second dose in reserve effectively for any customer that needed it. One thing that I'd, I would just add on on uh, Andrew's um, original question about why would the, would the EU care about you know UK domestic politics? 
Now, of course, the EU has a duty to protect its citizens, but it also has a duty not to spoil relationships with neighbours. It also needs for its own benefit not to be seen to be behaving poorly towards third countries because other third countries are watching them in much the same way as we made the argument at the time when the UK was threatening to break an international treaty. Well, hey, hold on, guys, you want to go and do trade deals with the US and and, and with other countries who are now seeing you as an untrustworthy partner. And of course, the EU needs to make sure it's not making the US angry, particularly Washington. We've got Biden there, who is a staunch advocate of the Good Friday Agreement, peace in Ireland. They will not be happy about the EU threatening to impose a hard border. So for the EU's own benefit, it needs to be seen to be acting properly and in a moderate and and, uh, responsible way towards people outside of the EU, not just within it. To what extent has this damaged, you know, our long march of bringing us back closer to the EU eventually one day? Is this going to be the new what about the Greek debt crisis that gets trot out, trotted out forever and ever? And is von der Leyen going to be the new up, up yours, Delors hate figure forever on GBTV and Brillo Vision? Sure, but she was going to anyway. You're talking about a slice of uh, the political lobby which wants us to have as a hostile relationship with Europe as possible for various reasons, some ideological, some financial, um, some policy long-term goals, which is to hug the US much more closely and become a a tax-liberalized haven. But so that was always going to happen. What you're getting now, I think, is the first taste of what it is like to be involved in trade disputes with the EU. And actually, we won this one because we jumped on the vaccine much earlier, incidentally, by taking risks. So we jumped on the vaccine by taking regulatory risks and paying way over the odds for it. So let's see what comes out in the wash. Because in two years' time, when this incident has faded out of view, there will be an overall impression of how many people died what the death rate was in various countries, what the economic downturn was in various countries, what the rate of vaccination was in various countries, how economies recovered. And in the long-term trend, I can't see the EU not catching up with the vaccination program. They will. It's just a short-term bottleneck. I don't know, you know, I can I can see this being a uh, Maastricht Treaty thing. I can see this becoming a myth. I can see this being the foundation myth of why we were right to leave part two. I, can, I, I, I don't think it's going to fade from memory. No, no, you misunderstand me. I didn't, I don't disagree. All I'm saying is that, you know, the mythology for those who have an agenda, they would have latched on to something anyway. Um, You know, the EU has fucked up and given them a really easy target. But, you know, you're talking about the Maastricht Treaty. As part of that mythology, the Maastricht Treaty, if you go back and look at what actually happened at the time, you know, it was another non-argument. You know, the EU actually wasn't pressurizing the UK to accept something that it didn't want to accept. The UK was pretending that it was being pressurized to accept something it didn't want to accept because it was easier politically. 
But that's why this is different, isn't it? Because this, you know, we, we cannot deny, and we spent this whole podcast not denying it, the EU has clearly fucked up and done something very clear that everybody can understand. They tried to stop the vaccine coming into the country. That's a, that's a one-liner that you will see over and over and over again. So my, my question to both of you, to Naomi as well, is listeners, list, exasperated listeners who've been following our podcast for four years, who want Britain to be close to the EU, who wanted to stop Brexit, did their best to stop it. Now this flaming turd has landed on our doorstep. What should our listeners be saying when Uncle Ken goes, oh, well, we're, we're great to be out. You know, they, they, they never wanted us to have the vaccine. What should we be saying in all the rows we're going to be having over the next few days on social media? I've been doing it this morning. What should we be saying to people? We, the UK did it first. In 2020, it imposed export restrictions on hundreds of therapeutic medicines for COVID-19 to try and stop other countries benefiting from them, uh, and that zero sum gets us nowhere, and that we live in a world that is now affected by a pandemic that doesn't discriminate across borders, climate change doesn't discriminate across borders, all of the trends are for closer regional integration economically around the world, and our economy is suffering as a consequence of a protectionist uh, attitude. Um, and, and like it or not, we are going to have to either suffer the consequences or get back to a closer relationship with our nearest geographical trading partners because trade declines with distance. That That is not, uh, you know, a, a Project Fear thing. That is not a Ramona pipe dream. It is just the way the world works and has been working and uh, it, it's how other mature economies uh, collaborate. The, the deal that we've got with the EU at the moment is not fit for the 21st century. It is hurting export businesses, import businesses, everyone up and down their supply chains. It is hurting the ability to get food onto the tables in Northern Ireland. And it is a deal of the UK's own making. And it is up to the UK alone to improve prospects for British people. I would say that um, I don't feel under pressure or obligation to say anything to it other than to condemn the EU. I mean, they are a, a collection of political leaders who are as fallible as uh, panicky, as dishonest occasionally, as any politicians. And so I think we need to separate support for the European project, which is good, which has huge benefits, and which can be a force for good, and separate that from the mistakes occasionally made by politicians at the helm. I mean, I made my career by criticizing EU choices during the Eurozone crisis. I'm not... I'm not averse to criticizing the EU Commission's political choices, but that's the point. The point is I can criticize the government of this country without saying, um, you know, our democratic system should be put in the bin. I can criticize the political choices current leadership is making or a mistake, even a government that I support has made, I can criticize that without saying, let's pull out of the UK or let's become a, an ol oligarchy. Let's change our political system. The two are distinct. The European project has huge benefits and, uh, you know, it's a project of peace and prosperity. And the people who are leading it will occasionally fuck up. And when they fuck up, we should call them out. Well, I'm not looking forward to but the vaccines being the new but her emails of the next 10 years, but I guess we're stuck with it now and we'll just have to deal with the deck that we're dealt. But let's end on a cheerful note from listener Kevy Von Trevi. 
who messaged me and said, we found the silver lining here in Belfast. My neighbour and bubbler is the head nursing director of vaccine rollout in Northern Ireland. Today's developments have further squashed the arguments to the anti-vax brigade. After all, if the EU and the UK are prepared to detonate plans agonised about for years for the sake of securing vaccines, then the damn jab must be really worth having. So there you go. At least it proves the vaccines are worth having. <laughs> can, I, can I tell a very short joke, which Go I on, think man. will cheer, cheer we people need up? One. Yes, well, please. Someone said, uh, which I found very funny, that uh, effectively Germany criticising the efficacy of the vaccine while also trying to sort of prevent its exports so they could keep all the do- doses reminded him of the uh, Woody Allen joke in Annie Hall. <laughs> yes. <laughs> where the two old women are complaining that the food here is terrible and the portions are too small. (laughs) (laughs) On that note, Naomi and Alex, thank you for joining me for this emergency podcast. Alex, enjoy the rest of your birthday. What other exciting surprises may may the news have in in store for you? Nobody knows. I'll be opening my presents soon. Very good. Listeners, thanks for listening. I hope you're enjoying your weekend as much as is humanly possible. It possibly isn't even the weekend. Who can tell anymore? We'll be back next week with The Bunker and Oh God What Now. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you soon. 